Hello, and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We're your co-hosts. Today, we are so excited to have Catherine Kitterman with us here in the studio to talk with her about the Relief Society's involvement in women's suffrage, just the right to vote. So Catherine, welcome. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. We are not experts on this topic, but you are. So we're so excited <laughs> to be able to pick your brain and ask you questions and hear from your wealth of knowledge and your expertise and experience. So Catherine works as the historical director for Better Days 2020, which is a nonprofit dedicated to celebrating Utah women's history and encouraging women today to be more engaged in the community. Catherine earned bachelor's and master's degrees from Brigham Young University and is currently a PhD candidate in American history at American University in Washington, D.C. And we thought this was so interesting. Her doctoral work actually focuses specifically on Latter-day Saint women's struggle for suffrage in 19th century Utah. Previously, she worked at BYU as an adjunct professor in church history and doctrine, and she also worked as a research assistant for Saints, which is the recently published narrative history of the church. Catherine is also the co-author of the recently published book, Thinking Women, A Timeline of Suffrage in Utah. So again, we feel so lucky to have you here today to discuss the legacy of Relief Society women's involvement. And this is such an important and inspiring story. So we're excited to be able to share with our listeners more about that. And Catherine, we're especially excited to have you on the episode today because we're celebrating some very important anniversaries for women's suffrage in 2020. So will you tell us about some of these anniversaries and their significance? And also, what do these anniversaries mean for women in, in the church and outside of the church worldwide? Yeah, 2020 is a big year. It's great that so many things coincide. Um, so there's three big anniversaries for voting rights that I've been talking a lot about in the past couple of years um, that all take place in 2020. And the first uh, was back in February. It was the 150th anniversary of Utah women's first votes. And it's not just like cool if you live in Utah, but it's the fact that Utah women were the first in the United States to vote with equal suffrage rights. So that means they had the same voting rights as men. And they participated in elections first. Many people may know that Wyoming extended the right to vote first to women, but Utah women went to the polls first due to the timing of elections. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was a big deal because this was the first time since the women's movement had really started fighting for the vote that women on a widespread scale were able to go to the polls and have a say in the political process. So that was a big deal, but it was the beginning of a long, slow slog for change. So <laughs> steps forward, steps back, absolutely, steps forward again. Right? <laughs> Decades long. And, and that's really one of the things that is so important this year is to recognize the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which is in August, is a big deal that extended the rights of women to vote across the country. But that was 50 years later after Utah women first voted. And then there would still be many women who, due to their race or ethnic background, national origin, weren't able to cast ballots even longer. And the 55th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act is also this year. That's another key piece of legislation that opened the way for more people to have a say in the political process. And I think initially people might think, oh, well, this is a Utah story mm -hmm. or this mm -hmm. is just a U.S. story. So for those listening, members of the church that might live anywhere in the world, what does that mean for them? How can they still feel connected to this story? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that sometimes 
we forget when we're telling the story of a particular place is that it's connected to wider stories and wider movements. So the movement for voting rights for women wasn't just a Utah or a United States thing, right? This was an international movement with women coming together from multiple countries across the world working to win the right to vote and other legal rights for women. So it's connected with larger stories that cross international borders. I think many people recognize today in a way that we didn't 100 years ago or 150 years ago that it's really important to have all people's perspectives and voices at the table when we're making these decisions that affect all of us. And women in the Relief Society particularly saw this as part of the restoration, bringing women back to their natural place as equal children of God alongside of men and people who should be working together to not only create the kingdom of God, but also work in society and make things better for future generations. I really love that. And I've particularly felt that connection this year. You know, as all these anniversaries are coming up and it's very exciting and it really makes me evaluate you know, how I can better participate in what's happening around me in my community, in my state, in my country. It's just really inspiring to me. Yeah. And I have to sort of ask too, so we'll get into this a little bit, but this idea that Utah women were first in Mm -hmm. the United States, was that really something that was also kind of first across the world? I mean, were there women that had the right to vote elsewhere or was that really kind of the beginning in, in many places? This was really the beginning in many places. New Zealand was the first country to enfranchise women citizens, and that was in 1897, I believe. If I'm wrong, I'll go back on that. (laughs) So again, that was still a little bit later than the story was happening. So something that I think in learning about this is so exciting is there are some very interesting little facts and, and bits of history and highlights of history in the story of Utah Relief Society women and the vote which I mentioned talking with you earlier, growing up in Utah, growing up in the church, I didn't really know about these little bits of our history that are so interesting and so important. So can you tell us some of these little facts just kind of right off the bat that are so fascinating and why is this worth celebrating this year and and kind of as we move forward? Absolutely. There are so many fun little pieces here, but some of the highlights include Um, pieces of the story because women fought for the right to vote here, lost it, and regained it. So women actually won the vote twice here in Utah. So that's an interesting Mm -hmm. story. We'll talk (laughs) about why that was necessary later. The other thing, again, as I mentioned, is that the first woman to vote with equal suffrage rights was right here in Utah. Um, Her name was Sarah Young. She was a 23-year-old school teacher. Grandniece of Brigham Young probably voted on her way to work. She was a teacher at the time. And that's a big deal. Um, As we're celebrating firsts and many people who moved the movement forward. I think it's important to remember an everyday woman who went to do her civic duty and made Mm -hmm. history just by doing that. Mm -hmm. So that's a big deal. Utah women citizens were voting 50 years before the 19th Amendment. So when Sarah cast her vote, it was another 50 years before many women in the United States would have the chance to do that. And that's a big deal because that paved the way in many respects. Latter-day Saint women in Utah were some of the first voters in the U.S. And so people were watching to see what they would do. And the arguments for and against why mm-hmm. women should be voting were kind of developed about Latter-day Saint women here in Which Utah. Which is fascinating that that's a part of our history. Absolutely. As in, in the Relief Society. Right. And then because of those early gains in, in voting rights and other things, we have some other firsts. So Utah women really enjoyed a widespread community support for their work for voting rights here in Utah. That was different than was the case in many of the parts of the United States. And then there were women who won office first and were elected to political positions like Martha Hughes Cannon 
who was the first female state senator elected in the mm-hmm. United From States. From right here in Utah, a member of the Relief yeah. Society, a doctor, mm-hmm. right? A female doctor. Yeah. And also the Relief Society women's involvement and engagement with national women's groups and organizations was really key as well. So it wasn't just about winning the right to vote in their local communities, but the Relief Society organization and women across Utah were very key in pushing for a federal amendment for suffrage across the United States. Um, many people recognized Utah's leading role in that. Um, people like Emmeline B. Wells were celebrated for their advocacy of women in the Washington Post, in national suffrage conventions, things like this. So that's a really key part of the story that Relief Society women weren't only focused on their local communities, but having a broader influence as mm-hmm. well. And interesting that they were sort of called upon by these national leaders and they were also reaching out to them. Mm-hmm. This relationship that was built, I think, is really interesting. I was just wondering, as we were talking about Seraph Young and these others that you know really paved the way for these major movements, do we have records of what they were talking about, what they were saying? Did they know the major things that they were involved in at the time? It's so funny because in some ways we do. We we have records from the people who were keeping diaries, the people whose families have preserved those. And then for other people, they're almost lost. You can piece together a bit of the story from what shows up in the newspapers, but we don't have any of their own words. Well, and Seraph was a little bit forgotten, right? Right. Like yeah. we I think again, maybe people knew Utah women, Relief Society women were first, but Again, I don't remember her name being taught or mm-hmm. being celebrated necessarily. Right. And even later, so in 1920, the Relief Society magazine did a feature. It's been 50 years since women voted in Utah, and they used her name and her photo. Um, but we don't have any of Seraph's words. She's never quoted in the newspaper talking about why she went to vote. That's a question I would like to know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and her family, when we contacted them, her descendants didn't even know this part of her story when we contacted them last year. So I think that goes to show some of the importance that we place. A lot of these women maybe didn't even realize the the power of what they were doing, that they were really paving the way for everyone. They thought they were just doing what needed to be done. Well, and I really connect with that because you mentioned, you know, Seraph is just this everyday woman. She probably voted on her way to work and yet she had such an impact. You know, this was this is incredible that it happened, you know, right here. And maybe we don't always know that in the moment, right? It's it's looking back. It's in retrospect. Yeah, and we're we're working to honor those women in some ways. I think it is important to know their names and their stories. Um, For example, Seraph is buried in Arlington Cemetery because her husband was a Civil War veteran. Um, So you can be buried with your spouse there. So you can actually go visit her grave if you're ever out there. And I did a couple years ago, but her headstone has her name spelled wrong. So... I submitted a request and I think a new one is coming. But, you know, I'd love to see people putting their I voted stickers on her, yeah, some, you know, so her gravestone, her. right? I don't think you're allowed to do that there. But <laughs> but there are... Some way to honor her and remember her. There are ways to remember and, and look back at the people who have made possibilities open for us. Yeah. That's incredible. Catherine, will you just share a brief overview or timeline of how women in Utah, won, lost, and then, like we talked about, regained the right to vote. And how were the women of the Relief Society involved? Sure. So this is a story that had many steps forward and steps backward, as we've talked about. But in 1870, Utah's territorial legislature passed a law that said women citizens could vote. Women citizens of voting age, that was 21 at the time. And so women voted here in Utah for 17 years, all the way until 1887. And that's when an anti-polygamy law took away the rights of all women to vote in Utah. Earlier, polygamous women had been disenfranchised and men. 
earlier, but in 1887, all women, whether they were Latter-day Saint or not, married or not, lost the right to vote. So then women in Utah organized suffrage associations to regain the right to vote, to really work to include that in Utah's state constitution. So that was successful when Utah became a state in 1896. And then women continued to work for voting rights on a national scale, pushing for the 19th Amendment, what would become the 19th Amendment eventually Mm -hmm. in 1920, and working for voter registration and participation in other ways. So that was that was a long 50-year span, and there's parts of the story that stretch behind and, and ahead of that as well. Mm-hmm. So going back to the very beginning where you said as a territory, Utah gave women the right to vote. I know Relief Society women were involved in maybe advocating for themselves or saying, this is, this is something that's important to us, and we feel it's important that we be more involved. Can you tell us a little bit more about maybe why they would have asked for that or pushed for that? Yes, and there wasn't a public call where Relief Society women were marching in the street saying, we demand the right to vote. Not in 1870. They were doing Mm -hmm. that in 1920. Okay. Um, But way back there in the beginning, there were so many complicated factors tied up in the discussions about whether women should be voting in Utah. One of those big factors was the issue of polygamy. As national lawmakers were looking for ways to end polygamy, they were suggesting different laws in Congress. And as those things came up, Some people had suggested maybe women will vote themselves out of polygamy if they can vote in Utah. That's what national reformers hoped Mm -hmm, would happen. mm -hmm. So they started that conversation. It didn't go anywhere in Congress. But then as Utahns were talking about this, discussing this, the Deseret News would write editorials saying like, yeah, that's a great idea. (laughs) Women are important. They help here, you know. But Mm -hmm. one of the key things that Relief Society women did to show their political strength and show that they could be important parts of the political process were these indignation meetings that they held in early 1870. And that was to protest anti-polygamy legislation. So again, Congress was talking about how to end polygamy. There were bills that were proposed that would have stripped polygamous men of voting rights, not allowed them to sit on juries, things like that. And so women in the Relief Society, started by Sarah Kimball and then Eliza R. Snow and others, started to hold these large indignation meetings where they would gather, they would give speeches about why they should have their religious liberties protected as American citizens, why they felt like they needed to follow the commandments of God, the sacrifices that they had made in coming to Utah and leaving behind homes and families. And they really, again, they didn't say women should vote because of this, but they were showing that they were organized and articulate and effective and capable. And that was big. That was both aimed at a national audience for people who thought that Latter-day Saint women were, were oppressed and right, mm-hmm. degraded, deluded, you know, those sorts of things. So they were showing, hey, we're articulate, we're choosing this. But they were also showing, I think, their their local leaders and political and otherwise, right? Like, hey, we'll be on your side. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> you can count on our efforts to further the kingdom as they saw it, right? And so it's not like women's votes were needed in some political contest here to keep polygamy going or something like this. Other people have talked about that, and that's not the case. But women were showing that they could be articulate and effective and organizers. And that was really important. So I think something that's interesting as you talk about these women who were very organized, who gathered themselves together, who were articulate, I think that so much of that came from the foundation of the organization of the Relief Society. And so I I just love that these things are so interconnected, that these women were part of the Relief Society, that they were members of the church, that they were articulate and empowered, and that all those things kind of worked together to create the result that happened. So I would love for you to share what about 
the women's participation in the Relief Society really ignited and propelled them to work for suffrage. Yes, and there are lots of people who have researched this subject and gone into the workings of the Relief Society and how that built capacities for women, um, much as many other religious or charitable organizations in the United States were places where women were speaking in public for the first time. Um, even if you're only speaking in front of women, that was something that was pretty new, new right? Yeah. This is not a thing that respectable ladies did, mm -hmm. you know, like standing on street corners <laughs> or something at that time in the 1800s. So the, the network and the organizational capacities that were being built um, as the organization of Relief Society to mobilize lots of women were really important, but then also those skills, those leadership skills that women gained through their participation. So people like Sarah Kimball, you know, who was instrumental in the founding of Relief Society in Nauvoo, and then again in Utah, she was speaking in public, she was leading others, she was coordinating work between women and men on large projects. And this wasn't just about religious issues or charity and relief, although those were key parts of Relief Society, but they were also working together for their economic cooperative stores where they were trying to elevate women really economically and religiously and politically as well. So women were gaining confidence in themselves. And I just think it's so incredible that they were able to build such a strong, organized community and they were able to mobilize so many people and movements to make a huge difference. There was a church history article that that I really appreciated. It said, Utah women worked as suffragists, politicians, writers, editors, doctors, board members, business owners, and pioneers of home industry, all in addition to their religious responsibilities and charitable work. And I just think that that is so incredibly inspiring and is similar to where we are today. You know, we have so many incredible women in addition to their religious responsibilities are so involved in professional pursuits and all of these other things. And so the article continues on to say a major goal of the suffrage movement was to increase the standard of living for women, which aligned with the Relief Society's goal to provide charity and relief. And so as we're talking, I just love that connection. You know, I love that these women in the Relief Society that already had these goals for charity and relief were working towards, you know, making a better life through being able to vote in their communities and, and states and territories and in, and in the country. And to me, it's beautiful how it's such a deep part of these women's identities, you know, this, this work that they were moving toward. I love it. Absolutely. And Sarah Kimball would later say, the sure foundations of the suffrage cause were deeply and permanently laid on the 17th of March, 1842, which is the founding of Relief Society. Mm -hmm. And I don't think she really means that Relief Society was formed and that's what sparked everybody's idea that women should vote, right? Um, but she's onto something important here that she and many other people saw that the Relief Society had been such a key organization for them and for people across the country in restoring women to their place in society, in making sure that people had equal rights, which is a key, you know, tenet of the gospel, if you think about this, right? And she saw her work in Relief Society as something that had prepared her to play a role in elevating women across the world, not just only in her mm -hmm. own community. And I think there is something to be said about the promise, the kind of the prophetic commission of the Relief Society that this is the beginning of better days for women. And it is interesting mm -hmm. that from that time, I, I just think the the rights and the experience of women throughout the world, it, it's just been different. It's been better, you know. Mm -hmm. And as, as we think about women who are working for the right to vote, you've mentioned this already, but it wasn't just about to have a say in politics, but it was what else that would do. 
because I think these women saw things like, we need to make sure that children have good education. We want to make sure that the society that we're building now will last for the future. And so many of those issues aren't just political issues, but they felt that if they had the vote, that they would have influence in society. And, and that was key to be able to be educated and have professional opportunities open to them. And in many ways, women in Utah enjoyed more possibilities than other women at, different, at the same time. Um, but they, they felt that that was very, very important for personal development and growth and the, the development of our divine attributes and becoming more mm-hmm. like our heavenly parents. And again, Chaylin, like you've shared, so related to our religious identities. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. I really love talking about individual women that were involved in this movement. We know Eliza Arsenault, Emmeline B. Wells, and we've talked about Seraph Young. And I'm just wondering if you can tell us about some of the other Relief Society women that have had an impact on you personally. Will you tell us some of their stories? One of the women who I learned about in recent years who's really inspiring to me is named Hanaka Epa. And she and her family had converted to the gospel in Hawaii, where she was from. And in the year 1898, she and her mother emigrated to Utah, like many Hawaiian saints who wanted to be closer to the temple and, and be able to participate in gospel ordinances there. And she settled out in Yosepa, which was in Tuila Valley, so a little bit west of Salt Lake, quite a ways west if you're go- going mm-hmm. by wagon here. <laughs> but that story of her involvement in the church and in women's rights was really interesting to me because she was a secretary in the Sunday school out in Yosepa. You can see her showing up in newspaper articles when she's speaking at Sunday school conferences and things like this. But the year after she moved to the U.S., she actually got on a train with other women's leaders like Susie Young Gates and others and went back east to speak to a national convention. It was the National Council of Women in 1899. And Hannah and others were speaking about the rights of women in places that were often forgotten, like Hawaii, which had just become a colony of the United States. Hmm. And she spoke in both Hawaii and in English to urge these women there who were working for voting rights not to forget the women in these territories and women and men of color whose voting rights weren't always at the forefront of this movement. Mm-hmm. And so I think her story is fascinating to me because she she could represent her people so well, partly because of her associations with the church, her leadership roles that she's had in the past, and then that she could remind people about taking a wider view. And that's not something that was always followed up on in the suffrage movement, but her her example is really important to me, mm-hmm. speaking for that. So we've talked a little bit about how this message is relevant to us, but we'd love to hear more kind of your perspective on on how this story can inspire us today and what, as Relief Society women, we can continue to do to be active in our societies and our communities and to use our voices for, for good and for change. One of the things that I think is important to remember is that women worked together in the Relief Society for a common goal, even when they might have had different opinions about what the best way was to get there or how to do this, but that each person's contribution mattered. One of the things that I think is so key about Relief Society is that it gives us opportunities to learn from each other. I think that the the skills that we gain in Relief Society and the sisterhood that we have there can help us to rally our forces and to draw strength and inspiration and wisdom from the women around us. And um, because we're we're better, we're more effective, we're more capable when we have those perspectives and life experiences behind us that other people can add. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to note, so today there are more than 7 million members of the Relief Society in nearly 200 nations across the world. And 
I think what you've shared really sums up what our Relief Society president, Jean Bingham, once said, speaking on a United Nations panel, she said, while individually we can do great good, collectively we can accomplish so much more. I also think one of my favorite things to think about as I'm learning about these early Relief Society sisters, I love thinking about them sitting around a table or sitting in a meeting, talking and learning from each other. And I think that that's something that women are really good at and women also really need. And that maybe that's sort of a timeless thing that women do is just sit and talk and listen and engage. And I think that that there's power in that today and identifying what is it that we should be doing? What is it that needs to be done in our communities? And that's what they were doing then. And that's what we do today. I actually just had this experience this weekend with some of my, I, I was with a handful of some of my very best friends and we literally were sitting around a table discussing some really important issues that have been happening in our communities and in our world right now. And it was really neat to me to just see how, although some of our opinions were different, it was just really neat that we were all so respectful, that we felt comfortable sharing the things that we thought, that I feel like everybody was listening and asking follow-up questions. And so it's been really neat to now have this conversation today and just see the legacy that was started so many years ago that we as women of the church and as women in general that we share and that we can continue to make changes for the better. Absolutely. So Catherine, where can we learn more about this very important part of our history? I really loved the exhibition that's on display at the Church History Museum right now. I know it's not open to the public, but hopefully it will be soon. Mm -hmm. The exhibition Sisters for Suffrage, How Utah Women Won the Vote. And there are some great online resources. I saw mm -hmm. a video they put out just a couple of days ago about an important anniversary. And there are some really key artifacts there that, that help to tell the story of how Relief Society women used their experiences to expand voting rights and other rights for other women. Mm -hmm. So that's really key. There's a lot of other things online. Mm -hmm. um, in the United States, August 2020 is National Women's Suffrage Month, and there are resources from so many national libraries, the National Archives, Library of Congress, online podcasts. Uh, so there's a lot of places that you can learn more about this if you want to do some Googling. Mm -hmm. UtahWomensHistory.org is another great resource. And we'll be sure to include the the link to the church history exhibit that you mentioned, some other resources from the church history department on Relief Society specifically and their involvement that it's interesting to dive into. I do think it's important to remember and to note that the men in Utah, the men in, in the church were also supportive of this cause, many of them. Um, and there's some really inspiring, interesting things that are on the record that they said or that they were involved in to help with this cause. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So Relief Society leaders and women in Utah who were working for the right to vote generally did enjoy widespread support for those efforts from church leaders all the way down to the rest of their community. And that was unusual here and so part of why women were able to exercise the right to vote in 1870 is, of course, that male lawmakers voted unanimously to extend that right. But it didn't just stop there. So as women lost the right to vote and were working to regain it, many people were supportive. You'd see women and men speaking and lecturing at these suffrage associations. You would see suffrage associations hosting these large rallies mm -hmm. to raise awareness, and you'd see men and women there speaking. Um, and also, especially in Utah's constitutional convention, Men like Orson F. Whitney and Franklin S. Richards, who were key leaders in the church, but mm -hmm. also delegates at this convention, said 
really good things here (laughs) about women's suffrage. They were important. And so Franklin Richards, who was married to Emily Richards, who was the organizer of the suffrage associations across Utah, um, he said things like, if the price of statehood is disfranchising one half of our people, then it's not worth the price. He said it was really important to include women as parts of this. Part of it was because he said women aren't complimented by the statement that they're too good to exercise the same rights as a man. Um, But he said equal suffrage will prove the brightest and purest ray of Utah's glorious star. And he talked about it beckoning other states and territories onward to fuller measures of civilization. Um, I love thinking about this husband and wife working together. Totally. And they worked together just months after this. Susan B. Anthony visited Utah in 1895, and they hosted a big reception for her at their house. And I can imagine that both of them were really invested and involved Mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. Um, Orson F. Whitney was another delegate who was pro-suffrage, who worked very closely with the Suffrage Association. And I love one of the things that he said. He said that it's woman's destiny to have a voice in the affairs of the government. She has a right for it. And then he went on to say, I think that this great social upheaval, this women's movement that's making itself heard and felt is one of the great levers by which the Almighty is lifting up this fallen world, lifting it nearer to the throne of its creator. And I think that's one of the key things that women and men who were working together for suffrage in Utah felt is that this was a piece of getting the world back to a place where women Mm -hmm. and men would be able to live their full potential, that children of God would be able to have a say, to develop their skills and talents, and that our society, church, government, what have you, will be better when men and women are working together for it. It's really key that it's not just something that half of the people do, but that when you have all of the talents available to you engaged in these projects, that, that our outcomes are better. I really love that. Thank you, Catherine, for spending time with us today and for talking about these remarkable women. And we're so grateful for the continued work that you're doing to preserve this legacy that we get to be a part of. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Catherine. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and for listening to another episode. We hope that you'll share feedback with us. If you have ideas, suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at podcasts at churchofjesuschrist.org. We would love if you would leave us a rating or review. Let us know what you think of the podcast, any feedback on whatever platform you get your podcasts. And thanks so much again for listening. And we would love for you to share these episodes with your friends and family, especially if there's something that you learned or that you think someone else might appreciate. Go ahead and share it. Until next time, I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.